Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, if you're new with us in some way, I am Charlie, the lead pastor here. Really glad that you are worshiping with us today, whether it be here in the room or online or you're watching a little bit later. Uh, really glad that you're worshiping with us. And um, there's a story that I like to tell, kind of a, a, a quirky little story. The very first time ever that I got pulled over by a police officer, I was 27 years old, which that's just... That's enough right there for people to say that that's a crazy, weird, ridiculous story, that, that you can live your entire teenage years, uh, all of your college years, and the, even in some, and then not, not be violating the law in such a way that draws attention to yourself. But anyway, I was 27 years old. I was, I was, I was, I was already a dad, even. And um, the, 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 the story just keeps getting a little bit weirder in that it was, it was 1230 at night, and like, oh man, what were you doing out so late? I was actually leading a Bible study. Uh, I was a college uh, pastor, and we had this Bible study that started really late and obviously went really late. So it was about 12.30 at night, and I'm leaving the college campus, and there's this light, there was this one particular light, kind of this main light that's kind of your way out, and um, it was red, and I stopped. So the light was red, and I stopped. And then it turned green, the little green arrow came, and then I turned left. And then as I was turning left, there was a cop right here. And he hit his lights, did a U in the intersection, and pulled me over. So we have this little interaction. He's like, oh, yeah, you, you ran that one, didn't you? And I'm like, no. I was like, it was like, it was red. I stopped. It turned green. I went. <laughs> no, I don't think so. You cut that real close. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I'm tired, and you're being weird. And, and this is so weird. He's like, I'm going to need to see your license. And it was at that moment that it hit me. I can tell you the exact date that this happened because it was three days after my birthday. It was November 18th, and my license had just expired three days before. I had forgotten to get it renewed. So here I am. I have not done anything wrong. This guy is giving me grief for who knows why, and I'm about to hand him an expired license. So I hand him my expired license. He continues to say things that aren't true and really, really weird. Apparently, he does not even check or really notice that my license is expired, so he doesn't either notice or he doesn't care. And he hands this back to me, and he says, well, you just be more careful next time. And I'm thinking, what? Ever. And I'm like, <laughs> and so then I, then I, then I drive away. And, and it takes me a while to kind of figure out what's going on. Someone leaving a college campus past midnight is most likely under the influence of substances, or at least has a high chance of being under the influence of said substances. And so he was just, he was just leaning his head into the car and trying to sniff. Right? He was just trying to see what was going on and, again, didn't really care about why he pulled me over and obviously didn't care that I handed him an expired license. Right? It's just, he was just giving me grief and, and I was on. Again, it's a weird little fun story that, uh, that I can tell and I can tell it in such a way where I, I can get real dramatic with it and it can be like a laugh. Ha ha ha. But there's another remarkable part of that story that I have not really even thought about before until recently is that I got pulled over for something that I didn't do. I handed him an expired license, and the only thing I ever felt in that entire time was annoyance. I was annoyed. I, I never felt in danger. I never felt like I was in trouble. I felt like, even though I was, whatever he was doing, I felt like I was in complete control the whole time. 
And it never once crossed my mind in that entire interaction that something legitimately bad was going to happen to me other than this guy giving me grief and the potential for whatever the fine is, I guess, for a three-day-old expired license. And I think it's important for me, and I think it's important for all of us, to recognize that we live in a world where um, that's not everyone's experience. And it would be really easy for me to say, well, man, police have pulled me over for things I haven't done before, and that's not the only time that it's happened. The harder thing for me to say is, is that my experience of it is radically different than what a lot of people would experience. And I think it's important for us individually to kind of take some moments and just reflect on how the world is different for some of us. And we have a lot of fear in doing that because, one, it may, it may, it may take us to start to, you know, we, we might lo- start to lose faith in some institutions that we've had a lot of faith in long term, and that seems scary. Also, this, it's, it's scary for us because, well, if I start to th- think and act and say well, things like what he just said, then I might, it, and then politics immediately enters into it. Well, now all of a sudden, my politics might be bad, and the people that I trust in my politics are saying things different than that, and my politics demand that I, don't ta- that I, that, that, that I can't say that the world is different for some people than it is for other people. And so I think it's important for us to kind of have these kinds of bits of introspection, and I think it's important for people like me and ultimately people like you to kind of share these stories and just kind of interact about them. We obviously don't have a great time to interact about it right now, but you can interact with me about it later if you'd like and just kind of talk. It's like, man, what, what, kind of what were you getting at with that? And we can just have a conversation because conversations, this kind of leads me to the next thing that I want to say, it really is, I believe, more than anything, it's going to be conversations that get us out of this. Because I think there's just this, this growing sense in which, and you can just feel it, you felt it over the last week or so, this just growing sense of something has to change, something has to be done, and we don't know what to do. And so that leads us to a couple of things. One, it, it, it leads us to despair, or two, it leads us to kind of abdicate our personal responsibility because I don't feel like there's anything I can do because I can only do small things, and the only thing that can do big things is the government, and so I'm just going to advocate, ad, abdicate my responsibility to do something to this institution. And now, I, you guys know if you've been around for a while, I don't like to talk politics um, and this is going to probably sound more political than maybe some things that I've ever said before up here, but I don't believe in that institution's ability to solve any problem. And it, 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 it is amazing to me that we continue to elect people to fix problems they created. And, um, and, 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 and you're in a situation right now, and, and it just comes to a point where you get old enough, where your ideal scenario that you're thinking about right now is like, man, the, reason, the only reason you're thinking that is because we haven't elected a blah, 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 and a blah, 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 and if we had blah, 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 and the, I've lived long enough to see your ideal government scenario at least twice. I have. And it hasn't helped. Now, maybe... Some things are better, some things are worse. It's not that, that's not where this is going to happen. There is going to be a token piece of legislation that gets passed and maybe even a real piece of legislation that's going to get passed. And 
I still contend and I still believe that if we want to make our world a better place and we want to bring the hope and life of Jesus Christ to this world and we want for the the people who are disadvantaged and hurting in our world, if we want them to have hope and life, that is going to happen one-on-one, conversation with conversation, because this is a heart issue. You do not fix systemic heart issues with pieces of legislation. You don't solve any problems. I mean, we talk about this in a marriage, like a marriage that's been around for 10 years, and they want to come and talk to us, one t- my wife and I, one time, and like in one hour, we're going to fix 10 years of problems. Can't fix 10 years of problems in one hour. Can't fix 10 years of problems in five hours. You're going to fix 10 years of problems in over, over years. And, and the problems that you are experiencing and that you're feeling and what our world is going through, those things are going to take time. And it's the time and the effort to talk to our kids differently. It's the time and effort that it takes to kind of hold the people in leadership to, to account. It is the time it takes to have conversations with people who are outside your bubble. When I say outside your bubble, I mean not only who look different than you and are different maybe socioeconomic status than you do, but people who think differently than you. And that means getting out of your political bubble and going into someone else's. But it seems now that the only way that we get out of our bubble to talk to somebody is to yell at them. And I will say one more thing, and eventually I'm going to make people upset, and it bothers me that it's like, this, what this world does not need, you're not going to solve a hate and anger problem with more hate and anger. You're just not. And, and, and this is what we keep bringing. And we lack the patience to sit down with somebody who doesn't see, who doesn't understand, whose heart is, is, is broken in some way, regardless of the issue that we're talking about. And I don't have the patience and the understanding to sit down with them and have a conversation. Because I'm used to only talking to people who look and act and think like me. And maybe I'm willing to be brave and talk to somebody who looks different than me, but I'm really not brave enough to have a conversation with someone who thinks differently than me. Until we are willing, slowly but surely, to kind of do the ground game, one-on-one, having good conversations, bringing hope and life to individuals. I was having a great conversation with, with, with Z, who's on our staff this week, and, and the great thing that he was saying was... Um, we, we've, got, we've, got a, we've got a tree that's, that's poisoned, right? That's got a real problem. And we're doing everything that we can to paint the leaves. And um, we don't have the, the courage. We don't have the courage to see what's really going on at the root. And that means in my own heart and then being willing to say, man, we've got, we've got heart problems. And, and, and God has called, but this... But again, I want to come back. This is what God has called us to. God has not called our little band of a church to be the ones who bring about an end to racism in the world. If I said that to you, that's your job. Your job is to end racism in the world. You would be overwhelmed and you would do nothing. But what if I said that it was your job to bring a little bit of hope and a little bit of life to the world around you and the people that God has put in your life? And if we all did that, and then they all did that, 
and God's church big picture did that, I think we would all be very excited about what God would do in the aftermath of that. And um, I made a decision this week. Last week I went nine minutes in my little intro that didn't have anything to do with the sermon. I was going to go shorter, and it was 12. <laughs> Let me pray. God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for, um, for these awesome people and just their hearts. And God, just the willingness to walk into a church, to turn on a video, and not know what's going to be said, and to know that most weeks something about what you think or believe about God or life is going to be challenged, and be willing to do it. Be willing to listen. And God, I just pray that big picture for us. I pray that big picture for our world, and especially, God, for your people in our country right now, that our hearts would just be willing to listen. God, your spirit has something to say to us about who you want us to be and how we can bring hope um, to our world. And God, that we can bring uh, justice to people who are um, living under a system where they feel oppressed, where, where, where God, they experience prejudice and hate and anger and racism, God. I just pray that we would just God, that we would, not, we would not just bring platitudes. We would not abdicate our responsibility to the government. But God, that each and every day that we would be carriers of hope and life and peace to a world that is more and more desperate for it each and every day. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, Matthew chapter 20. This is another great parable. We've been doing a series here. We started last week's series on parables, which are these stories that Jesus tells that are just kind of realistic, kind of moral tales where we learn something about God and ourselves. And um, this one is called the parable of the workers in uh, the vineyard. Matthew chapter 20, starting verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Make sure that we're tracking with the details of this story. This guy owns a vineyard, needs people to come out there and work his crops for him. So he goes out to the place where he kind of hired day laborers and finds a few and says, Hey, I want you to come out and work a full day in my vineyard, and I'm going to pay you a fair day's wage which was a denarius. That's what you got for one full day's of work. You come out there and I'll do that. He goes out there about three hours later, found some more people. He's like, man, I need some more people. Will you come out here and work and I'll just, I'll pay you something. He doesn't commit to anything. Comes out three more hours later and then then ultimately comes out, you know, he comes out three or four times and ultimately comes out with there's just kind of one hour left in the work day. He's like, there's only an hour left. Please still come on out and work and I'll pay you whatever's fair. And so these people, they've been out there working, some of them all day, some, you know, some 12 hours, 9 hours, 6 hours, some people only 1 hour. And so he says, he talks to the former, hey, gather everybody up, I'm going to start paying them. 
verse 9. The workers who were hired about five, so these are the people who only worked about an hour, who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius, which is the full day's wage. The same thing that he promised to pay the people who worked all day. So when those who were hired first, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received the denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. We've talked about this as we've been kind of going through this um, uh, series on parables, that, that every, every time it seems like that there's some instance where the, the character that kind of represents God, in order to kind of describe what God is like, you have to say something ridiculous. And in this instance, the, the ridiculous nature of the God figure in here, the owner of this vineyard, the ridiculous thing that he does is that he would pay someone a full day's wage for just one hour of work or three hours of work or just a half day. That's, 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 a, that's a terrible business model. It's a, it's a stupid business model. It doesn't make any sense. He's, not, he's, 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 just, he's just giving money away and doing something that no reasonable business person would do. And so in order to describe what God is like, we have this person who was abundantly generous and in the process of being abundantly generous, is generous in such a way that when you see it and you experience it, it just seems weird and wrong. And because Jesus said it, and it's a Bible story, we've been around for a couple thousand years, maybe we're a little desensitized to it, and maybe we kind of look at the person who's been there all day and is like, I'm going to start getting real judgy about him because, you know, why, you know, the guy's just being generous. I mean, why would you be mad at somebody being generous? But just imagine you, and I don't have to say this, you, when you were eight. I mean, just imagine this at any age of your life. You and your sibling are asked to do something, and you do the work all day. And, and your sibling kind of keeps having bathroom breaks, right? Got the bathroom break, and they really show up, took a little extra lunch, and didn't really do much. But then maybe, but every time mom or dad shows up, like, like you just, like they start working, working really, really hard. And then at the end of the day, you get paid the same, right? Or maybe it's like, or even this scenario, you were there all day, your brother gets home from something else, and with an hour left, comes in and helps you, and you get paid the same. It's just, it's outrageous. It's un- we, we cannot tolerate it, and there's something in us that that just, it, just it, 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 it irks us at our core, and I think the way that I want to say it has to do with kind of making sure we make a distinction between a couple of different words. He's not fair, okay? So, God, so, so what that means is, let's just make sure that we've got some good definitions of terms. When I say just, what I mean is that you're always going to get what you deserve. You're going to get what you deserve. And, and, and I guess what we'll say by that is you're never going to get less than what you deserve. 
God is always going to treat you justly. He did not pay the people who worked all day less than what he agreed to. He's like, you worked a whole day, but I'm only going to pay you for half a day. That would be unjust. And, and, and just as you, you, if you give somebody what they've earned, and that's what God did. God does that. But when God is not just, so to speak, when he is not just, it is because he is being too gracious. And make sure we understand what grace means. Grace means I give you something good that you don't deserve. Hey, everybody who eats their, eats, eats their veggies gets dessert. And then you eat your veggies and you get dessert. That's just just that's just that's just the rule. I followed the rule, but if you don't eat your uh, if you don't eat your veggies and I give you dessert anyway, that's being gracious. That's being gracious. It's like I'm giving you something good even though you don't deserve it, and that's how God is. He gives everyone at a, the worst that you're ever going to get from God is exactly what you deserve. But often, what you're going to get from God is more than what you deserve. He's going to be gracious to you. The problem comes when you believe that you're getting what you deserve and somebody else gets gracious. Because when that happens, that's not fair. It's not fair that you... I ate my vegetables. And I got dessert. And he didn't eat his vegetables. And you gave him dessert. And like... nothing bad happened to you. You got exactly what you were promised. Nothing bad happened to you. But something better happened to somebody else. And that just... I would rather all of us be miserable (laughs) than you get one good thing that I don't also. I don't mean to sound like your mama, but life ain't fair. <laughs> and fair, fair, fair is just something that you just need to, just, just, can we, if we could just wipe it away. And you think, it's like, well, how does this tie in with what you were just talking about? It's like, take, again, this, this is all just coincidence. We're not talking about fighting for fairness. And to the people that are, I don't get. We're talking about fighting for justice, that people get justice, that people can, get, can be treated in the way that is appropriate we're not talking, there's nothing you're going to be able to do about fairness. People are going to have different outcomes. And anyway, what we're talking about here is more theological. We're talking about that God is being more gracious, at least in your perception. Your perception that he's being more gracious to somebody else than he's being to you, and that's not fair. God never said he would be fair. He said he would be just, and when he's not, it's to be gracious. So how did the original audience, how did they hear this? What their application, what they were hearing, what God was trying to get across is that Gentiles are an equal part of the kingdom. Get it here, just theological here for just a second. You know, the Jewish people had been God's people since Abraham. And the purpose of them being God's people was not because God only cared about one people, but he wanted to bless one group so much that they would magnetize the world around them. They would both actively be telling people about the awesome God and that, and that they, would, they would just kind of sit as this light that would draw people in. You can read the Old Testament and, and see how, evaluate how good a job they did on that, but that is the point of what they were trying to do. 
And so what happened was, it seemed like for the most part, they began to get this real ethnocentric view of God isn't blessing us so that we can bless the world. He's blessing us because he likes us best. And so they didn't really have a whole lot of use for Gentiles, the people who were not Jews. And now Jesus is coming along and saying, you think that you're God's people because he likes you better. God loves everyone, and your purpose was to draw the world. And actually, God is trying to bring in the people that you've intentionally excluded. And that's not fair. Because we've been being God's people for generations, doing all the work, doing all the things, following all the laws. I did it, my dad did it, my granddad did it, my great-granddad did it all. We've been God's people forever. And suddenly these tax collectors and Roman soldiers are going to come in and be like, Oh, I'm sorry I committed the sin. And now you're just going to let them in? And if you read the book of Acts, you see more of that. You can't just walk in and be like, I'm sorry? not how this works and Jesus in a parable is like actually that is exactly how God works and we need to let these people in well we are all beneficiaries of that piece being um, uh, Gentiles ourselves Um, but our application is this is that it doesn't really matter when someone receives Christ so our application is it doesn't really matter when someone receives Christ, right? And, and this is, you, you heard this phrase before? It's like, and, and someone came, came through at the 11th hour. Oh, they, they, they came in, like, when you hear that phrase, 11th hour, it's like somebody coming in at the last minute. This is kind of where this comes from, is 12-hour workday. Coming in in the 11th hour is kind of right underneath the clock. We kind of think of, oh, it's right before midnight. It doesn't have anything to do with midnight, it, it is a 12-hour workday, and coming in at the 11th hour is the right, right before sundown, and you can't really work outside anymore. So someone comes in at the 11th hour, the very last minute, and according to this parable, gets the exact same thing. And so you hear about, you hear these stories about deathbed confessions of Jesus from some of the worst people in the world, whether they are, are uh, even serial killers on death row. And you hear the story, and your first response often is you kind of just want to be a little bit suspicious of it. Like, like what? And then there's a part of you, like, maybe not for everybody, but there's a part of you that's like, mm-mm, mm-mm. You don't, get the, you don't get the serial kill. And then just kind of come in and be like, give me Jesus with like five minutes to go. You don't, you don't, you don't get to do that. And I don't know what it is about that unfairness that bothers us, that someone who's done really terrible things for their whole life, finds faith later, why that would ever bother us. I mean, like, is the unfairness of that is like, man, if I known we could do that, I'd have killed me some people. <laughs> I mean, what, what, why, 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 why would God being gracious to someone who has done terrible things, how does that affect you? It doesn't affect, like, I wish I'd gotten the opportunity. Like, that's the only way that that makes sense, and that doesn't make sense, so just don't be like that. But here's, but here's the reality. The reality is this. We are all 11th hour people. Did you work in the field all day to earn the good gifts of God? Man, I, yeah, I earned every bit of it. 
I earned God's faith. I, I earned my faith. I earned salvation. I worked hard and I did all the things. And the salvation and the forgiveness and the life and the love that God has given me, I earned it from a fair day's wage. No. And if you think that you did, you have a problem. That is not the case. It is a free gift of God. We are all people that are 11th hour people. So really the difference is between with an hour to go and three minutes to go. But there's not a one of us that has earned the thing that God has given us. But the thing that happens to us mentally is we start to believe that we're paying it back. Well, sure, it was free here, but look at all the good that I've done in the years since then. Now this person comes in having not done the things that I've done and then gets the same thing that I do. You weren't earning anything here. You weren't paying it back. The, the, the gifts of God are not installment plans. They're not payday loans. They're not rent to you own. It was free and it was always free. And God is great and generous and awesome and merciful. And we should, we should see ourselves in this passage in no other way than as the people who come in at the 11th hour. And then... So that's our kind of theological application. Your personal application is this, is that we celebrate the generosity of God, especially when it is for someone else. Again, we want to be advocates for justice for people, but that isn't going to keep the world from being fair, and that's not going to keep it from being where people, other people who you perceive who have not been as good or done as much as you are going to get and experience something better from God than what you have. And we need to be the kind of people who in our heart, we're just excited about a God who does good things for other people. And I just, I can't say this strongly enough. Man, what this world needs is a lot less envy and a lot less greed. When I just become overly obsessed about my perception of how someone else has something that I don't have. If you're going to obsess about somebody who has something different than what you have, go down. Go down and grab somebody. Don't look up and be resentful. Because that is, again, that is one of the last things that this world needs. Is more envy. It needs more people who are celebrating the generosity of God and have a, a focus on their own thankfulness. And reaching hands down, not fists up, towards people that we perceive that have it better than we do. I think God's really doing something. He has been for the last three months, and I think he's going to continue to do. From the very beginning of this, I think it's been really um, clear that God is trying to squeeze out a lot of yuck and grossness in our hearts. And the only thing that I can do is beg you to let him. And there's just been a lot of that. It's just kind of getting squeezed out, and it's painful, and it hurts. And, and, and we see and we, we, we see injustice and it makes us feel one thing. We see, we see some of the protests that, 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 that go too far and then we feel other things and we just we, we have all of this in us. And we want to put it on other people. And again, 
while we want to advocate out here, I think we do not want to lose sight of the fact that God is squeezing and bringing out of us a lot of yuck that's been there the whole time. Quarantine did not cause the yuck that was in you. These, these protests and the, and the awful things that, that, that predate them, that's not what put the yuck there. The yuck's been there, and this is just drawing it out. These last three months have drawn out a lot. Things have been tense at your house. Things have been tense in your heart. Things have been tense at work. But God is doing a work. Let's let him finish that work. As always, man, I just encourage you just to spend some time responding. If here in the room, we have opportunities in the back where you are at home, worshiping, praying, connecting. Ask God to help you Um, be honest about what's going on in your heart and that he would fight to help you clean it out. Let's pray.